Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello there, sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive merch, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome back to Fighting on Film. This week we are going to take a look at our very first Ukrainian war film. Um, And we've decided to do this as it is the one year anniversary since Russia's invasion of Ukraine back in February 2022. So this week we're going to look at Cyborgs which is a 2017 film uh, which tells the story of the defenders of the Donetsk airport, which was a battle that was fought uh, in 2014, end of 2014, beginning of 2015. Um, And it's become sort of a national um, touchstone for Ukraine, I think. It's kind of like the Alamo or Dunkirk. Yeah. Um, So it's going to be an interesting one to cover. And it's one we thought that was fitting uh, to, to to cover at this juncture of, of the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Mm. Um, and I think Rob and I have also decided that we're going to do a uh, small donation to United24, which is a fundraising organization set up by Ukraine, which um, fundraises for both the military and humanitarian and uh, the, the rebuilding and um, and that sort of thing in Ukraine. So, yeah. We can we we would encourage others to do the same, um, but we're definitely going to do that. Um, I guess, without further ado, let's launch into cyborgs. I certainly enjoyed it. Um, I always love seeing what different countries, other than the UK and America, does with their film industries mm. uh, and how they treat war movies as well. Totally. Um, yeah. But yeah, maybe Matt, you should do production first because I think it's probably important to 
get to give more of an understanding of of the actual events um so before i begin um probably should caveat that probably our pronunciations of some ukrainian names is going to be subpar yeah it's a bit shocking we'll we'll do our absolute very best um to 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 get them right but do forgive us if we get them wrong directed by Aktem Setevlyov, uh who is a crimean tartar uh, of of crimean tartar descent okay. um, and he's an actor and director uh interestingly one of his first major uh, films was a film called uh k tama which was uh released in 2013 and that tells the story of stalin's deportation of the uh, crimean tartars Ooh. um which obviously is, is a um an important aspect for for um director um and then he did a couple of films including one about the vikings and then uh, i think a sci-fi film and then in 2020 he did a six-part tv series called volunteer about a ukrainian serviceman dealing with um some uh, life post service after uh, an experience on the donbass front mm. there's also a, a counter-terrorism element to it where there's separatist terrorist elements and such sounds interesting um in 2021, he directed a very stylized game trailer for uh, Warpath uh, Showdown, which was uh, like a a mobile video game. But the trailer is oh, it's is that a like lot of money at it. The game the World War Two tw- game, yeah, and it's like a top down game, but they make these really yes. over the top adverts. Yeah, I remember seeing something yeah. like that a few months back. It was a cool, yeah. It, like yeah, it, um, 2021 that came out, and I remember um, it. It looked extremely um, high-end for a mobile game, but interesting. I think, I mean, more interestingly, uh, I think, is the two films he's got coming out later this year. Um, The first of which, which is out next week, in fact, I believe. Oh, wow. Is um, Mirne 21, which is a film about the conflict, the start of the conflict in 2014. which I feel like is kind of the way Western films do commentary on current wars by making a film about a past war. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like how Kelly's um, Heroes is an allegory for Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. and MASH for, yeah. for, for Vietnam and, and such. Um, yeah. I definitely feel like that might be what, what what's going on there because, of course, the context of this is Ukraine is at war. And of course, culturally, they're going to be making these kind of films to... Um, explain how, you know the position that they they're mm. in and uh you know there's going to be a propaganda it's like it's, it's films it. as a, yeah films as a tool isn't it so like what exactly we've done exactly films inception um, and then the other film is called hell is empty and all the demons are here um Ooh. and that's described as three stories unfolding on the first day of the russian invasion in 2022 oh. which is a more up to the minute um sounds like another war movie um but those those both sound really interesting um reportedly he joined the territorial defense force in february 2022 when russia invaded but i'm not sure if he's still active with the tdf uh, the film was produced by ivana uh, diodora who worked with the director on a previous film the one about the um stalin's deportation of the tartars the film was written by screenwriter uh, natalia Vorosbit, who was 
or who is an award-winning playwright uh, and screenwriter. And she's written both Russian and Ukrainian TV stage mm. plays and film. Um, and she's had quite an interesting career. Cinematography was handled by Yuri Coral, uh, who uh, has worked on both of the director's new films, which are coming up, as well as that um, game trailer and a 2015 film called Battle of Sevastopol, which is about the Second World War battle. The film was made for about $1.8 million, and it was produced by a company called IDAS Film, uh, but at least half of the money was put up by the Ukrainian government, um, again, underpinning that propaganda element to this film, which is important to contextualise. Um, but as we'll talk about later on, we don't think it's as overt as it could be with the propaganda side of things. No, there's nuance there, which I wasn't yeah. expecting. Yeah. Uh, and of course, there was lots of kit and assistance from the Ukrainian Ministry of Defence. Uh, it did well at the box office. Um, I don't think it made back that full budget, but I believe it's considered one of the most successful recent yeah. Ukrainian films. Uh, and it was released as a four-part uh, four miniseries on TV in 2019 as well. So it had a bit of a TV run, split up into uh, a couple of shows. It was filmed on a number of locations. Um, I'm just gearing up to pronounce this correctly. Um, <laughs> Poor Matt. It's when he drew the short straw with the, with the production because we alternate. So um, one of the one locations it was uh, was filmed at was the Honcharivsky, I think that's pronounced correctly. Okay. Um, combined arms ground, which is like a training area for the Ukrainian military. And those tank sequences were filmed there. And then some of the external airport sequences were filmed at Shevstovitska, I think it is pronounced. Would you say that's how it's pronounced, Rob? Sounds seen right to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shevstovitska airport. Um, and that stood in for the next airport, basically. Mm. Um, and I think it's relatively well shot considering, oh, yeah. and I think a lot of the external and internal sequences look pretty good. Yeah, it's very claustrophobic. It looks smashed by small arms and tank rounds and things and artillery. Like, because if you see, there's lots of footage on YouTube of, of the actual battle from inside with the Ukrainian defenders and the separatists filming their own footage. It does, it does look very dissimilar. Um, I think they might have CGI'd in the tower. Yeah. Good looking film. Yeah. And then finally, um, they had a number of consultants on the film, um, including uh, people at the batch been uh, involved in the defense of the airport, the so-called cyborgs. So yes. the, the title might seem a bit weird to to, to us as Western audience, um, but the, the title comes from uh, the Russians overheard Sorry, the Ukrainians overheard some Russian transmissions that described the defenders as cyborgs, sort of like um, inhuman defenders that like were, you know, robotic, they, like Terminator they, types. Yeah, I they couldn't be tired, tired, and yeah. You know, so that's where the name of the film comes from, obviously. Right. Um, and a number of the uh, the defenders are, are um, listed as uh, helping with the production, which I think is interesting, and that's possibly added to some of the realism. Without a doubt, I've quickly got a few one-word reviews for this week. I couldn't, I didn't get a retro review because the film's quite new. I always think of the films like past 2010. I always think, let's not do a retro review because it's more modern 
you know do you know what i mean it makes sense yeah there's probably there's probably some good ukrainian reviews out there i know it won awards yeah it did it did um, well it, it won i think the equivalent to kind of like baftas oh, okay um and that kind of thing um but yeah I'm I'm impressed that we had someone with one I know. Uh, one so I, put, I put out the call. We had a few. So Peter, um, okay, Spez Baby uh, says uh, timely. Uh, Paul Hicks said Borgie. Uh, Zemachar said very good movie. Martin Collins went with Unseen, which was very brave because you know not a lot of people have seen this. I don't think outside of Ukraine. Um, G at midnight course uh, says Slover. I think that's a good way of ending that. So for the cast, and I'm going to do my best with the pronunciations, just like Matt did. Um, the edit will make you've, him, got to, you've it, got to do better than I have. The edit's that, going to make. Well, I've played a lot of football manager, and I've, I've signed a lot of Eastern European centre backs. So um, I'm I'm geared up. Did an Eastbourne save. I had a, a, a Czechoslovakian centre back who stayed with me for like 15 years, and he was an absolute legend. And I can't remember his name because it was so many years ago. Up the sports. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> for the Eastbourne Borough fans out there only on final film could you get a Ukrainian war film That's where I mentioned football manager reference wow amazing so into the cast we have I'm going to run through the the the, uh, the actors and their uh, their code name that they give themselves in the film then I'll go into their their credits so we have Andrei Iznienko who is Saturday Roman Yazinovsky as guide uh Vladislav Dovz, Dovzienko as August, um, Makar Tikomorov as Major, Viktor Zyadanov as Old, uh, Alexander Piskunov as Mars, Konstantin Temirak as Psycho, Roman Semisal plays Redoubt, who was Alexander Trepak. I think he was an actual, uh, very uh, actual commander on, on the day at the time. Um, and Alexander, finally, Alexandria. Rodrini plays uh, a journalist in a small cameo role. So uh, Izyenko, he's in a Ukrainian uh, series called, uh, I'm going to butcher this one, Zlomvo Chanya, just like a crime series. And he plays Peter in a, in a 2019 film called The Rising Hawk, which also stars Robert Patrick and Tommy Flanagan, who was Chibs in uh, Sons of Anarchy, if you remember that oh. one. Is yeah. that the Viking film? Uh, that's, no, it's, that's... no, it's not. It's um, it's actually no. about the M- Mongolian conquest of Eastern Europe. Oh yes, I saw that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's um, right. And that that looked all right. That looked quite fun. Um, mm. And then we have uh, Makar Tikomorov, uh, who played. Matt's laughing every time I say these names. Uh, Tikomorov, who played Major. I know. I know the difficulty. That's all. I know. He played Mikula uh, in the Secrets, a Ukrainian drama series. And he played Luca in a film called The Line about smugglers on the Ukrainian border. A lot of these actors, they are just mainly based in Ukraine. Then we have uh, Yasinovsky, appears in a 2022 film called Sniper, The White Raven, um, which just came out at the end of last year. And that's a, another film set in the Donbass. But it's um, it's really an allegory for like the, the war that's going on now, as Matt said. Mm-hmm. Um, and that film seemed a lot more made in the style of like a Western type action film. Um, a lot oh. more action heavy than this or well, the trailer yeah. would make it seem so um, this film seemed more about stoicism and, and nationalism rather than that film just seemed to be more of an action type like sort of patriotic flag waver yeah, perhaps yeah. I do want to see it because it, it looked interesting um, and then he uh, uh, in a, a film called 
Klim, which which deals with the Donbass War as well. And he's also in 2019's Battle of Krupki, um, as a another, just another Ukrainian war film set in 1918. Uh Dozienko or, or Dovchenko, uh, he's in 2022's Obim, which is a, a film about two families dealing with their their men going off to war. I think that might be in the Donbass. But because it's set in 2022, I, I couldn't it might be about the war that's going on now, but I couldn't find out. There's just not a lot about it online. Um, uh, and then he played a fame, the famous Ukrainian poet, Ivan Franco's son, Petro, in a series about his life in 2019. And uh, Ivan Petro actually was one of the founders of the Ukrainian Air Force, which I found, thought was quite interesting finding that out today. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Um, Zandov, uh, Zadov, he was in 2021's God Will Forgive, which is a short film where he plays a chaplain trying to flee the Donbass in 2014. Um, and he also appeared as Uncle Horan um, with Azienko in the Rising Hawk film, um, which I mentioned with the, the Robert Patrick one. Um, Piskinov, yeah, Piskinov, uh, a small role in Death of Stalin in 2017. He played a snitch or a character called the snitch in it. I, I don't remember what that oh, would have wow. been in the movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. Um, he's the only actor in this that has a like a Western credit, I think. Um, and then he was also appeared in the Battle of Krupki as well and the line... Um, Temniak uh, appeared in uh, a series called Inseparable, which is a Ukrainian 2013 miniseries about Chernobyl, um, which is very, it looked a lot like the HBO series. So I wonder mm-hmm. if it was a an, an imitator or a, or, or it was a predecessor really, wouldn't it? Because Yeah, so it might have been an influence. Yeah, it might have influenced. It did look very influence heavy, actually. Uh, and then Semisal um, was in Sniper the White Raven, and he was also in U211. Cherkasy about the uh, Ukrainian minesweeper. Oh that yeah, got, that looks a good film. Refuse yeah. to give up. Yeah, that looked decent. Um, so yeah, they're all they're all Ukrainian actors. Been on a lot of Ukrainian TV and and films. Mm. And it's a shame because when you look up their IMDb's, not a lot of these actors have worked for a year to two years because of the the war. And it is a shame. Um, and I couldn't find anything about the, any of the chaps if they'd served in the volunteer battalions or if they'd managed to get out or if they're still in Ukraine, but, you know, we, we hope that they're all in good health. We, we, we wish them well, and everyone who's involved in the film. So, maybe on to the alley tally. It's time for Alley Tally on Fighting on Film. I wanted to start this alley tally this week by mentioning that Matt's been doing sterling work on his YouTube channel, The Armour's Bench, by documenting weaponry and uh, equipment that's being sent over to Ukraine at a rapid pace. I mean, it seems like he's never he's never not researching, contacting people. And he's doing really important work. So who better this week to have with us to cover stuff that's in this film? So, Matt, what, what jumped out to you? No, well, thanks, Rob. Um, that's all right, mate. Yeah, it's it's been a very interesting 12 months to try and document um, an ongoing conflict before it becomes history, I suppose. Mm. Um, That's one of the main reasons I've been studying all of the intricacies of what's been going on in terms of the weapons in use. Um, But yeah, this is the film's quite representative, actually. It's quite good. Um, In terms of the small arms, everyone's pretty much armed with AK-74s fixed stock or uh, there's some underfolders in there as well um but one that did stand out to me was i think it's is it guide the nco 
Yes, guy. Um, yeah. He has uh, an AK which is fitted with uh, a lot of fab defense um, accessories. So it's got a little collapsing stock. It's got a rail fore end and he has a front grip. And they're all um, accessories that can be bought from Fab Defense, who are a reasonably affordable manufacturer of, of um, firearms accessories. Mm. And in around 2015-16, the Ukrainian army actually went on to um, buy a kit, which they called the AKTK, um, which added like a new flash hider, a new forend. Um, with some rails that allowed you to mount an optic and that sort of thing, just to modernize their AK-74s. Um, But he's the only guy in the film with a slightly modified rifle, which I think adds to his character to suggest that he's experienced and he knows what will give him an edge. Um, And the rest of his characterization lends to that as well. Well, He does that Um, thing where he never actually uses the foregrip. He's holding the mag. Like at the very yeah. top, have you noticed yeah. that? That's yeah. a new trope, I think. <laughs> kind of, kind of. Um, other than that, there's a couple of interesting things. There's um, there's an RPG twenty two, which is um, kind of an um, kind of a Soviet Russian version of the uh, the sixty six millimeter M seventy two Law that we all have seen in plenty of Western yeah. films. Um, there's PK general purpose machine guns. They're the belt-fed machine guns in the film. And then there's a, in the main fight sequence inside the terminal, one of the guys draws a what I think is a Stetchkin APS, which is an automatic pistol, but he only mm. fires it in semi-automatic, um, which is probably wise. Um, and there's there's a couple of nice sequences in there where he uses that. In terms of vehicles, it's BMPs and T-72s. There's quite a good little tank sequence. Yeah, it's decent, um, isn't it? Yeah. Which it was a nice surprise, to be honest. It's but, it's CGI, but they do it at a distance, so you don't really mm-hmm. notice. It's, it's well done. Yeah. It is. Um, and then the only other uh, thing that actually really stood out was um, the sporterized Mosin the Gamp, one of the, one of the separatists. Oh, yeah. You get a fleeting has, glimpse of it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't get a good look at it but it's definitely i think it's definitely a mosin again it's not an svd or anything like that i wanted um, to ask you you know the chap that gets out of the car when one of the mm-hmm. got when the guy's trapped in that crater does he have an sks um yeah it's like some sort of like battle rifle and i couldn't quite id it that yeah that i it's kind of a, a, an oblique angle and it's difficult to see mm. i wonder whether that was an svd well, it um, might have been yeah, but it could have been, been an SVT or SKS or something like that mm. because it's surprising what does pop up in Ukraine. I mean, there's there's a hell of a lot of Mosin against still being used. Yeah, even now. Remember at the start of the war, yeah, everyone's going, "Look at Maxim, look at EP twenty eight, and it's like, yeah. yeah, Second World War firearms still exist. They don't just disintegrate. <laughs> you know, like they don't and turn to dust. Hundreds of thousands in Ukraine. It's, it's incredible. I really like the uh, the multitude of like camo and, and, and kit mm. involved. So, guides wearing a a, a flecton German Parker, which and I think it's Completely funny that he's not patch still. Yeah, he's not taking off the little German flag yeah. that comes on them. I have got one in my kit somewhere. So have I. I think everyone's got one. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's got one of those like nineties German flecton seventies eighties Parkers. Yeah, yeah, and he looks great in it. Like they've done enough with the with the kit to make everyone stand out because obviously as we've it's gonna a thing that's come up again with this war that there's no 
real sort of proper one look of a, of a troop, a trooper, an infantryman at the moment out there, it would seem. So, you know, you've got MTP, the current, the, the, what the, yeah, the camo the British Army wear, but it's not just the British Army that wear that. Loads of um, armies wear that in the world. Yes. Um, yeah. It's very, it's, you know, and there's DPM, British DPM on show in this movie. Um, and the thing that some Dutch you know, stuff, maybe Dutch, some, Danish um, DPM. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's some fairly obscure ones that pop up. I think Serpa has an interesting, like almost uh, like fleece, like, uh, yeah, like a lined fleece. That. But I've seen pictures of guys that are up at Bakhmut at the moment that are wearing the mm. same type of thing. So I don't know if that is that like a you know, just did the Ukrainian army procure a certain amount of those at some point, or are they a popular Maybe. private purchase Maybe. item? It's hard to say. Mm. Um, it's very hard to say. Yeah, yeah, totally. very, very difficult. But the film does a good job with that. You know, it's got guys with um, the tape, yeah, fluorescent yellow tape on their um, on their chest rigs. The separatists have got little white uh, ribbons. Yeah, which or they're very like common. Or they're black and black and orange. The black and orange. Yeah, the the yeah. Russian black and orange. That's nice. Um, there's a when they do the prisoner exchange, there's a uh, the Russian officer that they're talking to has the I think it's the Russian naval ensign uh, okay. on his on his nice. um, on his jacket. Mm. Um, but it, it feels very authentic, and as you say, they they've they've um, individualized each of the characters, mm. so it it feels like they've adapted and gathered their own kit, yes, like you know as soldiers do. Mm. So it feels lived in. Yeah, and like there's a different a bit array of authenticity. Of, yeah, like different chest rigs, different setups. You know, not everyone's not. And they look like they've been there for a while, and that's another thing I was going to mention is that. Yeah, you know, I'm going to steal Matt's word, mise en scène that he loves to use. But the <laughs> the, the mise en scène of this is really great because it, yeah, it is. It, when, when guides taking you through the tour of the airport, where he goes, "Oh, this is the ballroom. This is our restaurant." It, you know, it's basically all the same place, pretty much. Um, but it looks really lived in. You know, there's like discarded cans of food, there's bottles, there's a kettle on the main table. They've got this whiteboard, I think, which was probably at one stage maybe like a staff room for the Probably. for the airport yeah, staff feels like it yeah and they've it's got written like down like a little badge of like maybe who they're what regiment is there and then you know like who they're fighting against i think it says like azov at one point and i'm not i'm thinking like oh who does that who's this and it's really interesting i also i don't can't read russian um sorry can't read ukrainian but it would be interesting to to read that board but i really love the the lived in feel of it. it it feels like a war zone that they're that they're walking through um and it, it looks it as well it's really nice and every, everywhere sandbagged and pigeonholed and it, it looks like it could you know, be a cracking airsoft site i keep thinking yeah when i was watching that i think the film does overall it does a really good job of of um making it look realistic and it, mm. There's a number of sequences where you get the impression that they're very close to the to the Russian and separatist forces. Yeah, and you're um, never sure really where they are. It's a really good thing the movie does. Yeah, and from everything I've read about the battle, it, it seems that over the months um, where it was ongoing, they were struggling for control of terminal buildings, and in some cases, they controlled the top two floors or the middle two floors, and the separatists either controlled the, you know, the, the basement and the and the ground floor, 
and it moved and it went back and forth even right up to the very end of the battle it was back and forth mm. um and i think the well, film does a good good job of of getting that across it really does especially in the like the claustrophobic fight scenes and there aren't many of them inside the the terminal but the ones that it has very claustrophobic the sound design is very good mm. you know every, every round going off there's a cacophony of echoing and you know it gives you that horrible uh, re- realism that you want one thing i almost forgot was um the the one very interesting depiction of a thermal optic oh yes um where i think it's misha grows out into uh onto the s trip the actual runway mm. and he's trying to find a, a rifle from dead russian or that's it yeah it doesn't have one does he um, yeah exactly major. so the 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 film begins with um it's a platoon that's moving up to relieve the airport that's it burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements featuring rust proof stainless steel hardware weather ready teak and quick dry foam cushions for Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And they get they get um, bombarded by artillery. And the BMP that they're in um, is damaged and they all pile out and end up in a, a minivan. Yeah. Um, and some of them don't have uh, the you know their rifles. Yeah, because he says I forgot my AK, and the guy's like, "Don't go out the back out there for it. You're mad." Mm-hmm. You know, which is quite um, nice. So there's a bit where he goes out to look for a, you know a weapon, um, and he he's watched by someone with a with a thermal optic, which is pretty good. I, I like mm. the inclusion of that. It's, it looked good. It's, yeah, um, it's it it was an interesting inclusion. Um, I also a couple of other things I'll talk about later on that I thought were really interesting inclusions. Mm. But in terms of kit, that was one that stood out. There was also like a trope, almost like a, a tro- where I've never seen someone set a trope up then kill the trope off really quickly. So you know that sequence where the guy he's killed that the separatist who was coming to um, who heard the phone go off in the crater. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So the chap that went out that Matt mentioned. He's stuck in a crater and there's a dead separatist and he's got his phone and obviously his family are trying to ring him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it keeps going off and he's got, keeps like a knock ending the call. Or something. Yeah, it must be yes, an <laughs> indestructible phone. Um, <laughs> so that he takes his AK-74 off him, and he, but the phone goes off when the separatists are close. Um, and he kills a separatist and he... I hope this isn't your favourite scene, Matt, because I'm ruining it. No, carry on. Carry on. <laughs> Good. So <laughs> he, he dispatches a separatist, he, he rakes the van with some gunfire and he catches the chap that's in the back seat. And as he's driving back, you get this one little shot, and it shows the guy in the back's not completely dead. And his hand falls to the side. And then it cuts back to the front seat. And instead of him driving and not noticing anything, the chap reaches back and grabs the AK-74 from the back seat. 
and he puts it in the front seat next to him. And I'm like, in any other film, they would have had another option of him having to kill that guy off in the car because he didn't take the gun off him. And I've never seen someone set up that, oh, no, he's going to go for his gun and kill the hero, the main character. No, no, he takes the gun off him. And I was like, yes. I was like, thank God. Like, we've we've seen someone kill a trope. That is a little piece of realism. I like He's taking him prisoner um, and he's just making it safe. Took the gun Um, off him. he gives that AK-74, AKS-74U to um, Old, I think it is. That's it, he does, yeah. Um, call sign Old. Um, but yeah, I like that scene. I like that scene also. We've, we've strayed into favourite scenes a little bit, but yeah, this is my favourite. Where he, you know, he takes the, the, the dead separatist's rifle and he checks it. That's you know, nice. Takes the magazine out, yeah. pulls the bolt back, checks us around in the chamber. Um, which is, an, an, again, a nice piece of realism. Mm. Oh, you um, see Lad's hand uh, racking mags as well, which was nice by hand. Yes, yeah, loading. Um, Don't see that in many films. There's a, there's a little bit where one of them is, um, they meet up with another squad and they're about to go in and clear a bit of the building. And the guy, he mentions um, Counter-Strike, doesn't he? Yeah, and then it's he, a nice little reference. And then he yeah. takes the guy's safety off and racks his rifle for him. For him, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, it's, before they remember, it's, it's like, count, do you play Counter-Strike? He's like, it's like a video game. You go one level, then you go to another level. It'll be fine. So Matt, favourite scene this week? There's a few that stand out to me. Um, also, shout out to the inclusion of a Wilhelm scream during yeah, the tank battle. Right, right. Before, at the we, end. before we talk about anything else, let's just throw that out there. Lovely little uh, inclusion. Um, so, what you mean, trope corner from last week is, is here yes. to stay? Is that your yeah. new? Is that going to be your? I know to, <laughs> I'll make you a jingle for that. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Let us know, everyone. Did you like trope? The, the trope yeah, tally. Let us know. Do you want to keep the trope tally going? Because we'll 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 include that if you like that. We'll try and do that. Um. So for me, favorite scene. There was some of the scenes that stood out most for me were the, the um sort of character development scenes where there was a yeah. bit more nuance going on that than I would have expected from what could have been a very straightforward piece of propaganda, mm. um, especially considering the Ukrainian government's involvement. And I. I liked one particular scene where I think it's Serpent who is talking to the guys about why they're fighting. Um, and they have various different reasons. And he, he talks about, um, think about who you're fighting. You know, it's not just Russians, but it's also Ukrainians. And that's, yeah. that's a terrible thing. Um, and we've got to learn to avoid making this happen again, um, which is you know, it's a constant with any conflict, isn't mm. it? We, and then you have like the, the only, counter the only way to avoid conflict is to learn. Yeah, like even having counter arguments about, well, are they Ukrainian because they speak Russian and all things like that? And it's a very nuanced conversation. I was very, I was like, you can tell that the person who wrote it wrote wrote theatre first. Mm. A very theatery type, getting into it. Con- there was one line. There was one line I really liked. Of course, this is um, from subtitles. It might, yes. might hit very differently in Ukrainian. Um, and it says, you have to think, love, and feel the injustice. I like that line. Um, 
And outside of that scene, there's a number of others that are thought provoking. There's a bit where there's a dude that's suffering from trauma that one of his friends has been killed already in the war. And when I think it's Misha returns with that prisoner in the back of the van. Yes. Um, kills him outright. Uh, he, he shoots the prisoner. That's um, it. And again, that's not necessarily something you would include in a straight-up propaganda movie. No, um, yeah. It, it adds nuance. Uh, it shows that you know, humans are capable of horrible things in horrible mm. situations. Um, yeah. There's a little bit on the roof where the, I think it's the, the doctor, the medic, and they're talking psycho. about... psycho. Yeah. Yes. They're talking about... Um, perspective and they they're looking at a tree and they cover they cover like most of their eyes um just so there's a you know a tiny slit through their hands and they can see this tree and none of the war going on around them mm. that, that was a really nice scene as well um and then the only the only other scene like that that stood out to me there's, like, there's probably more but serpin talks to a um a prisoner that a guide has beaten up and that's it yeah treated rather badly because he has a bit of a breakdown um and they talk about the re the reasons for the war and it, it's interesting how they touch on the ussr and it, yes seppin seppin does the same uh in a conversation with uh, misha where misha sort of says this is all your generation's fault you people that were born in the ussr mm you've had 25 years since the USSR to, you know, um, cultivate the Ukrainian state, the country. Mm. Um, well, you've, you've let go to shit, you know, it, it's really, shit. cause it's, it's still very hard to sort of grasp like as a Westerner who's, you know, obviously born since 1990, <laughs> oh, totally. like how this, how the end of the cold war still really has mm. fucked a lot of Europe up really. Like, for want of a better word, like it term, but yeah, it's very interesting to hear that from a a novice because I this is all new to me, like the whole social political part of it, um, and how people sort of want to have their nation. Um, and that's one of the most, as you say, it's one of the most enjoyable parts of the movie, I think, because it's it adds really rich context to the not just the, the actual movie, but my understanding of why the Donbass war happened and why this war ha is happening now. Um, yeah. Which what is why reason why we chose it really, um, but no, like it, I love all that part. And when it's like when Major in August is my favorite scene. Is there's another scene that is a, a talking scene. Scene um, when Major in August are discussing Gogol uh, and the Cossacks and, and nationalism, like the whole like makeup of Ukraine. And he's saying, you know, you nationalists, you're all you want to you got your old head stuck in the old ways. Basically accusing him of being a right winger. Um, and he says, well, oh, you're a lib, you're a libtard, you know, you want to wear embroidered shirts and march with flags, but you don't, you don't stand for anything. It's basically just accusing him of just being part of a crowd. Um, and then we learn that, that Major's from a rich family. And if he wanted to, he could have fled and been part of like music contests representing Ukraine. And he could have fought for the country that way, but he actually wanted to fight because he actually did want to stand for something. And then the, I forget the other character, but he snaps back and he goes, oh, "I read Stephen King." So, like, what? Well, it doesn't matter. Like, he's he's it's sort Stephan, of like Stefan, isn't it? Stefan, yeah. He's like he he just comes in and and it's like a voice of reason when he's like, "It doesn't matter 
what you are like if you're ukraine it's like a whole thing of like i took it as well if you're ukrainian in your heart then you're surely ukrainian like it's it was quite an, a, a, a very interesting sequence you could feel like uh this could be on the stage you could you could really mm. turn this mm. script into a because it's only set in like two or three rooms you could definitely yes have it as a stage play um but then of uh, jumping off of that to go into more sort of routine war movie territory i thought the hand-to-hand sequence was done well i thought it was really yes. well choreographed um, i was going to say that too mm. Oh yeah, no, and it's it. I think it's the first time we've seen an AK magazine or a magazine of any weapon used as a weapon. Um, <laughs> it, a guy gets beaten to death with it, which is quite. Yeah, you only get a few little hits, but I was like, oh, okay, you know, that's a proper mm-hmm. good hand to hand. It's very visceral, and there's mm. a lot of um, stabbing and beating, and um, a lot of point shooting and bursts, and then, as I mentioned in the alley tally, someone draws a um, Stetchkin APS. Yeah. But he's almost um, not aiming it, is he? He's just sort of wildly firing it. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is quite interesting. But and, and then they do, but then they do another thing, which we'll come back to the nuance of it, where in the first, I don't know how you, you felt about this, Matt, but in the first, I think it's the first engagement, you see these um, separatist troops come in and they've got balaclavas over their heads and they're wearing like green fatigues and big black body armor vests on. And I was like, oh, here we go. They're going to be like stormtroopers. They're not going to have any, they're not going to have any, there's not, the film's not going to say anything about them. They're just going to be there to be shot at. Um, yeah. but, but then later in the film, you, know, you do see guys, they have lines. You, he has a conversation with, I think it's the, the prisoner exchange. He has a conversation with one of the officers. And it's quite, you know, in, like a, a good conversation. He's not just saying, you're, you're a fucking separatist. I hate you. Fuck off. He's like actually mm. talking to him. Um, and I thought that's good. Because if the movie had gone another way, I'd have come out of it not knowing anything about the other side and i know the film doesn't lean into it that heavily but at least it didn't totally dismiss it it was, it was quite interesting how they approached it no i agree um and as i said that's that conversation between um the pow and um serpent mm. goes into a, a lot of the history well from serpent's point of view anyway yeah, yeah. of of why the war is ongoing and the the separatist describes his country as as the ussr which i thought was really interesting that was interesting yeah um that, that part struck me but uh, as you say very well choreographed really well shot very competently mm. made um and it conveys that chaos of hand-to-hand and the the fact that this fight was going on within a building the size yeah. of you know a, a small terminal in a regional yeah. airport um and it does convey it well. And then, you know, there's some exterior scenes where you see separatist forces charging um, and the guys are on the, you know, the barricades. Mm. Um, I also thought that the inclusion of uh, a lot of the social media stuff was interesting. That was good. Yeah, um, near the end. The guys yeah. are on their phones. Um, Major, Major or Misha talks about um, leaving one last like on things yeah, yeah. on social Guys media looking at facebook like unfriended Stefan someone gets or... wounded and takes a selfie posts it and when he's being um tended to by psycho the doctor the medic he says i've got twenty three thousand likes and my wife's unblocked me which i thought <laughs> yeah, was great yeah 
And that is. I like the line where he goes, "Oh, um, if I send you this video, will you put music to it later and put it online?" Like oh whenever they're firefight. So, yeah. So topical. I know the number. The number of videos I've watched on Telegram and various other Same platforms here. where guys have just literally put, uh, you know, like Ukrainian, like yeah, just, just dubstep the, or rave music yeah, on just, there really interesting yeah. music over combat videos it's it's definitely a thing that's still ongoing mm. um but i like that inclusion of social media i thought that gave it a little bit of nuance it does it won't date the film terribly i don't think um in terms of like watching in 30 years time people won't understand what no. that is yeah um it wasn't too much it wasn't like some films you see where they have like text conversations pop oh, up no. yeah, it's transparent not like, yeah, it's on like the screen where it comes on screen oh, God, yeah that, that is gonna date heavily in, oh it will but, do yeah yeah um but there's but none still, of that is it still weird for you to see smartphones in war movies anyway because usually we're not watching a war film about a war that's this close True. I mean, been do you remember the first history? time you watched like Black Hawk Down and the, like one of the Somalian dudes pulls out a phone? Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> it's weird, yeah. isn't it? Because you don't, you, don't, you don't think of it. Yeah. In a war zone, do you? Um, and yeah. I think it's the same. The same with like uh, Three Three Kings. That always struck me. Yeah. Um, where Mark yeah. Wahlberg is on the phone to his That's wife. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he's captured, um, it's we, it's because we watched Thirty Hours really... of Benghazi the other day, didn't we? Together mm. and um. There's um oh there's a, the guys on the like the laptop like video calling his family yeah like in and even we'll in like twenty yeah and even like in 2014 when that movie came out that still seemed quite new to video call yeah, people yeah it's it's funny isn't it it's interesting it's really weird yeah it's um but, there's there's a future special God um, no PEDs in war movies Christ <laughs> get all military time for you there but no I think maybe like we do we should uh, just schmoozle into final thoughts I think so. I think for me, in terms of final thoughts, I think it was a um, a good way of um, taking a look at some Ukrainian-made cinema mm. about an ongoing conflict. Um, of course, when the film was made, the current invasion obviously hadn't begun no. four years away at that point. Um, but the, the conflict and operations in Donbass were still ongoing. You know, there was the line of contact. Um, still there and there was still sporadic fighting on that border um mm. so for ukraine still very much an ongoing war um when the film came out um, yeah because some people say that the current invasion is is just an ongoing thing about the donbass don't they well in, exactly and there's there's people that say that you know it's it's the, the full-scale invasion of ukraine yeah. rather than yeah. just the conflict in donbass and crimea um which i can understand Same. um I, I've been wanting to do a film from Ukraine for a while, but it was finding the, you know, a, a good option. Um, mm. what a couple, we mentioned a couple before, um, and you ran through a load that sound quite promising. There's some in there that sound like they would be worth yeah. checking out. Sniper looks and, interesting. Mm, um, the the one about the patrol boat, the mine sweeper, yes. would be really good to yeah. cover. That's been quite well regarded in the reviews I've read. Um, and I, you know, I mentioned at the very beginning of the film that um, that the director is already working on and has finished at least one of them, um, two films, which are going to have, if not directly about the war, one of them is 
both of them are going to have that context of the ongoing invasion and war yeah. in Ukraine, um, which for us is a as a war movie podcast that likes to look at the context of when films were made. I think that's really really interesting. Yeah, um, it is. I would yeah. say this is a really um, competent film that punches above its weight. The yeah. certain things that I think are lost in translation, and the certain things um, in terms of filmmaking that don't perhaps work as well as they could have done. Mm. Um, some of the, some of the bits after the climax of the film, where um, spoilers, Serpent is, is shot by a sniper, yes. could have been handled a little bit more clearly. I think mm. um, it sort of it, it fizzles out for me. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, what the film does at the end is it shows another rotation of soldiers going into the airport. Yeah. The, the credits are well done, where they, it's just guide yeah. taking them through again, like it's all going to happen again, which mm-hmm. which I did like. Um, and I think that reflects the reality of that battle. Oh yeah, but yeah, I, I, I'll jump off from Matt. Like I, I like the sets. I like the the sound design was decent. Um, there were good set pieces. I would wish there were a few more of them, perhaps. But I understand mm-hmm. the budget. You, you you can only do what you can afford. Um, it's definitely a, a film to watch if you want an understanding about the Donbass War of 2014. Um, well, and it's then, the Ukrainian perspective. It's the Ukrainian yeah. perspective, yeah. Um, and then jumping off from that, you know, starts to make you think about the current war and how that's had an effect on it and, and things like that. Um, I, like I've come away just having a lot more understanding about you know, Ukrainian socio-political issues, um, which is, is interesting and important and poignant for now. Um, but then my only gripe with the movie is that I do feel that I'm going to, I've not said it for a few weeks, but I do think it was a little bit long in places. Um, <laughs> it was a long two hours, i got to admit. Yeah. Um, but then again, it is half term here um, at the Maguire household and my little one is off. So I had to watch it in like 20 minute spurts. So it didn't really help. Um, no. <laughs> luckily it was... See, I usually I can't watch these kind of movies when he's in the house because it's he's awake because obviously you know there's swears, there's bangs, explosions. I don't really want him to see it. But because yeah, it was not, in su- Ukra- not always suitable. Not always yeah. suitable, but because it was in Ukrainian with subtitles, I just I just stuck it on, and he was happy as loud. Well, well, you know this that all sounds great and everything, but we wait till he's like shouting "Sucre" at you from at the top of the stairs. You know? <laughs> dive under the <laughs> dive under the sofa and grab my AK. <laughs> ready to return some fire up the stairwell um but no I, I feel like the movie fizzled out a little bit um after that that tiny little firefight they have at the end with the tank battle and then it, their friend gets killed and, and they play a, a trumpet like eulogy for him and then they go back to the, the staging area and then the new troops come in and then it was oh okay it's, it's building up to something there's going to be this great valiant last stand heroic thing or they're going to pull out and they're going to uh, not win, but there'll be like a Pyrrhic victory or something. And then I was like, oh, the credits roll. Yeah, and I think the reason it's like that is because that reflects the, the battle in that it was kind of a, um, it was obviously a Ukrainian defeat because it was tactical Ukrainian defeat because they, they retreated yeah. Yeah. Um, to the Pisky, the village nearby that's mentioned in the in the film. Right. Because um, the, the airport itself was not very defensible. No, hard to defend a lot of open ground yeah um obviously the tower is super useful for yeah. artillery spotting and, and isn't it in the middle it's in the middle of the next as well so it's yeah. not you know they were like a little blip on the map and everyone's around them i guess yeah so it's understandable 
the the film would wouldn't have a big climax like that because mm. while there was I just fighting you know, I'm right just up used until to the end as a westerner watching watching western war films we're used to that big climactic ending yeah. oh totally and mm. it well we've seen it with like uh Pamphilov's men um where there's that big climax at the end yeah so it's, it's not just a western thing it's also in um you know eastern european cinema russian cinema mm. um and i think just you know for the human psyche that is is you just expect to get <laughs> yeah. yeah um but i think it's I think it does a fairly decent job of um, not ending it with a Pyrrhic victory, not ending it with a defeat. It just kind of yeah. gives you a snapshot of the centre of that siege. Mm. It doesn't... And then it, takes you out of it. I mean, having just said that one, I'm going to totally just contradict myself. But then I was also kind of pleased that it didn't, like, give me... It didn't leave me with any sort of opinion, in a way. It was just mm. like, right, look, these lads turn up now and they're still going to be able to fight still going to fight this this battle it didn't go you must hate the other side or you must side with us and our view it did leave you quite open um, yeah that's a fair point but yeah it's a, i should have mentioned it earlier in the episode um but i watched it on an app called plex which was built into my smart tv um and that had the uh, original ukrainian audio with the with the subtitles um, there's a dubbed version on YouTube, but the dub is bad because the actors they've got the in. The dub is always bad. Dub is, it? Dub is sh- snub the dub, what we always say snub on the show. Snub the dub, hashtag. Yeah, um, and I think you can rent it on Amazon or you can get the DVD quite cheaply. And we should have mm. said that at the start. But... I believe um, Sotebliov's next film, um, Mini 21, is also going to be on Plex as well. Okay. Right, because when I was doing some research about what it was about, one of the pages that came up was a Plex page, and okay. it, was, it said like out on the twenty second, which is probably yeah. when this will. Uh, yeah, if you've got um, Plex for fans, there's some quite eclectic little war films on there. There's a nice little selection if you're uh, if you're inclined. There's Gun Ho, which is like a really early Robert Mitchum film um, from oh, like nineteen forty three or something. Yeah, check that yeah. out if you've got it. Um, but yeah, move, I think we should maybe wrap up. So, I mean, that was uh, Cyborgs um, uh, called Heroes Never Die Over Here. Um, if, if you can watch it, please do. Um, and if you if you can give to United 24, you know, please do. But we obviously understand cost of living crisis at the moment in the UK. We understand if you can't. So a little bit of FOF news before we end the show. If you've listened this far and if you're keeping up to date on the social media account of the show, You'll know at fighting on film on Twitter. Fighting on film on Twitter, of course. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. There you go. Everywhere. We're everywhere. Um, you'll be aware that we are next month, March, we are doing Mercenary Month 2. It's coming back. Mech Month 2, Mech Harder. Merc Harder, yeah. So keep your eyes peeled on the well, by the time this goes out, the movies for the month will probably have been revealed. But mm-hmm. if you're still um if you're still want to get involved in our Patreon vote of the last movie in the month, because there's five Wednesdays in March. So there's going to be five. A bumper month. A bumper for month of Merc Month films. To choose from on the Patreon, there's the uh, Extraction with the guy that played Thor. Um, yeah. Liam Hemsworth? Ron- yeah, Li- Liam Hemsworth. Chris? Yeah, Chris Hemsworth, that's it. Ronin from 1998 with Robert De Niro. Which is there's- running away. Yeah, it's absolutely storming ahead. There's Fifty yeah. Fifty, which is a 1992 film with Peter Weller and Robert Hayes. Um, Men of War with Dolph Lundgren. 
just to just to explain that everyone, regardless of whether you're a Patreon member of the supporting cast, can vote on that this month. We've opened it up to everyone. So head over there, check it out, have a look at some of the perks. If you enjoyed yeah. the show, please do support it. Um, we've got perks, perk levels for everyone. Yeah. And we, we very much uh we very much appreciate all of the support that you give us and enable us to keep making the show. Yeah, it is. But we are very excited for Meg Month too. Yeah, we are. Because um, it's, it's, it's a little bit out of our ballpark because not all those movies are traditional war films. There's some no. some kind of just action-y movies that if you yeah. enjoyed the episode about... Tangential links. Yeah. yeah. And if you liked episodes on like Where Eagles Dare and um, uh, The Wild Geese, things like that, you'll love Merc. Commando. Commando, yeah, exactly. If you're... You know, if you're that way inclined, Merc Month really hits the spot and we enjoy doing it. It's just a bit of fun. But once again, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next week, everyone, when Merc Month 2 comes back with a vengeance. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.